So in totality right now, we have north of 500 properties that we represent exclusively for esports through these different organizations. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined this week again by my co-host, Joe Favorito. Joe? Hello, Tom. Welcome to a new show, a new episode. Midsummer, we're approaching the dog days, but it's been remarkably pleasant in the Northeast, at least, unlike other parts of the country where it's been absolutely miserable, from what I hear. Uh, But so far, so good this summer, post-July 4th quiet time kind of in the sports business well in certain ways it's a quiet time on the business side it's not really a quiet time you know it was revealed today for example that the nfl will bring its sunday ticket package to a tech partner i think roger goodell said that when he was hanging out at sun valley by the way joe you know for those of us who like succession when you see all the stories about sun valley and the pictures i mean you just have to think of succession and the episode where they went to Argestes. Uh, and yeah. you saw the BS in action anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a kind of an interesting thing. And then, of course, the stuff going on in college, which seems to be in the news every day. And that relates to today's conversation. But anything you want to uh, chat about in terms of what's going on this week or what happened last just, week? Just one shout out we must do. So for those who've listened or those who've been around the Columbia program, in addition to our crack producers now, Yash is doing it today. Um we had two producers who were in the program before, one of which is Taylor Di Benedetto, who, as you said, before, Di Bernardo, Di Bernardo. Bernardo. What did I say? Di yeah. Benedetto? Di, ben- Di Benedetto. That was wow. Tony Bennett's name before. Yeah, exactly. He's always, Tony Bennett's first name was actually Taylor. Okay. Too, what, so what, yeah, say that again. Taylor Di Bernardo, right? Right. And Taylor, uh, as you said, got his dream job to go back to Colorado and work for the Avalanche and cl- will be collecting a ring. Uh, for the Avalanche Stanley Cup, which people know it's like getting struck by lightning and yeah. to do it that quickly. So congratulations, Taylor. Very proud and happy. We texted back and forth a couple of times. He was somewhere in the parade route. Um, and I don't know whether he'll get one both for the Avalanche and for the Mammoth, which won the National Lacrosse League title. He may get a smaller one, but... I was going to say the, the Avalanche one's got to be a lot bigger than the Mammoth one. But that's yeah. no, an amazing Great. story. And the, the chances of that happening to young people mm-hmm. getting into the business are, of course, slim to none so uh, good for taylor he's a great guy and um we're, we're really happy for him it's it's really a great story i get i guess he's going to be number one on the call list for when for alumni panels now for the program right Joe? yeah yeah because yep. <laughs> so. no one's going to beat his story anyway um, so why don't we get to the college space yeah so we're really happy to have a returning guest and i i want to mention joe uh, let me give you a quiz um, so we're joined today by a great guy, a, a well-known executive in the industry named Mike Shrek, who's the CEO and co-founder of Collegiate Sports Management Group. And I'll talk about that in a second. But Mike's been on before, Joe. The question for you is, how long ago was that visit to the Cusp Show? I don't even remember when we did it. So, so nor did I. And that's why I did my research in advance of today's recording. And yeah. Mike and Ray uh, Katz, his partner, Joined us in 2016. Think about that. Same as right at the beginning. (laughs) Six years ago. Yeah, which two things. Number one, I can't believe it was six years. Number two is the world that they inhabit, focus on collegiate sports, 
couldn't be any different now, six years later yeah. than when they started. And we'll talk about that today. Other, course, other than but, the fact that there is still an NCAA for now and there is collegiate sports, everything well, else. Well, for now, yes. I mean, we'll yeah. see how long that lasts. But anyway, for those of you unfamiliar, I, I think a lot of people listening are at least somewhat familiar with C. We often call it CSMG. It is an integrated sports and entertainment media company focusing on both traditional sports and esports in the new creator economy. So that's a that's a great way to describe the company. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. It's always good to be with you and Joe and, and see you guys. And Tom, I did my research prior to getting back on with you folks as well. And I believe we were episode 18. Wow. Um, back you. in your wow. in your early days of the podcast. Wow. I have no recollection of this at all, but you know, <laughs> usually when you have when you have Ray on something, it kind of flies out of your mind right away too. So, <laughs> so it might be time for some Prevagen, uh, at least yeah. in the commercials I've been seeing yeah. on some cable news shows. Yeah, um, anyway. yeah no, no. So, so look, um, Mike, you guys are living in the center of one of the most exciting, insane. Um, crazy parts of the sports business right now. So it's hard to decide where to begin. We have about 45 minutes to, to chat today. Let me start with the first question, Joe, if you don't mind. Um, we just celebrated, I guess you'd call it celebrated, the one-year anniversary of Name, Image, Likeness, NIL, which we've talked about many times in this show. It was a mystery going in 13 months ago before it started. It's less of a mystery now, but still kind of... Uh, a little bit crazy. So let's get, as, as someone who probably knows as much about that as anybody we could possibly talk to in this business, why don't you give us an assessment of year one of NIL? Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. Um, NIL has been interesting, uh, Tom, to say the least. And obviously it's been, what I'll say, years in the making, um, you know, and then finally approved on July 1st of, of 2021. And what has transpired in the last year is that it, it really breaks down to a couple of different levels in, in college athletics, right? And so what you've seen to date is that it's become a little bit of a pay-for-play model at the Power Five, right? And it, it has certainly affected the transfer portal. And you have a lot of donors, wealthy donors at different institutions, you know, that are stepping up and you have a lot of local companies uh, in those respective markets that are stepping up and they're really getting into the weeds of a partnership with a lot of these college athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, at the power five level, it's been really more of big name stars, four and five star recruits that are getting these significant NIL deals. There's been a handful or you'll call it a dozen group licensing deals where multiple players on multiple teams um, we'll get these deals. And then you've seen some one-off deals where, you know, the, the gymnast at LSU who has 2 million Instagram followers is getting the, are, are getting deals, right? So it's been a little bit of a, hey, I'm a big name. I'm a big recruit. I'll get an NIL deal, even if I'm coming out of high school going in, or I'm a freshman or a sophomore, you know, returning. And then a little bit more of, you know, kind of social following. What so we've seen, so, oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, finish your thought. What we've seen at our level, Joe, where we represent, you know, mid-major conferences and schools on down into divisions two, three, and even junior college has really been more about the social following and the, 
student athletes brand identity for NIL deals than it is about them obviously being a big time recruit to a school. Okay. So, so a couple questions over that. Um, first of all, and, and for those who don't know, you guys represent 11 conferences, correct? So we represent 11 conferences in division one. We represent right. seven conferences in division two and a dozen conferences in division three, as well as the entire NJCAA junior college governing body. Okay. So the 11, can you just quickly rattle off the 11 conferences? Sure. So, so we represent the uh, Colonial Athletic Association. We represent the Big Sky. We represent the Southern Conference, the Atlantic Sun, the Northeast Conference, the Horizon League, uh, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, um, and so on and so forth. Okay. So it's a good mix. So the one question I had about NIL is ROI off of NIL. So I would imagine what you said is what most people have heard is that most of the success has been on influencer marketing, big followings, post this, go buy pizza. Oh, look, we got engagement here. Um, I would imagine after one year, because a marketing program that's integrated takes a long time, that the ROI for some of this is still pretty gray, or have you seen like immediate, like unbelievable success with some of the programs you guys have been involved with? Yeah, so Joe, anything I've seen uh, as it relates to deals we've done, the ROI is certainly long tail, right? It's, okay. it's a longer play for sure, especially with the, the level of influencer that we have under the CSMG umbrella. Right. Um, you know, you've seen a couple of unicorns quickly as it relates to, uh, you know, quarterback at Ohio State or some of these other, you know, bigger type, you know, players where there's a, a, a more immediacy return. But I think that brands have started to realize, hey, what is the long-term play? And if I'm going to do a deal, you know, with a respective group licensing deal at a college, you know, how do I make that deal a longer term play? Okay. So that that's interesting because that's the one point before we get off this topic is, the deals are more with the university pulling in athletes versus athletes individual, because with college athletes, there is no long-term play between the transfer portal and the fact that they're only in school potentially or playing as an athlete, one, two, three, maybe four or five years, but doubtful if they're an elite athlete. So it's the deals that you're seeing that you think are going to be successful or more, let's do a deal with the conference or with a particular school and blanket in some NIL, some some athletes, and then figure out who those are as kind of plan B. That's what I think the long term is, Joe. That's interesting. And, and, okay. the, and the way we're positioned at CSMG, and I'll give you one example where we did a um, Villanova football team deal um, with folks across the whole football team roster for an FCS football school. And to me, the deal was, hey, I'm going to get these kids for four years right? Because those kids are not going, you know, pro after three, let alone pro at all in most cases, right? And how do we basically outfit the whole football team so that it gets to be a campus-wide deal? And now all of a sudden I'm the official soup provider for the next 12, 15 years because the kids coming in are seeing that it's a generational thing. That's great. Perfect. What was the company, by the way? Can you say who it was? Reveal Suits. Uh, out of Dallas, Texas, uh, Carlton Dixon is the CEO, a really innovative guy. He and I have done deals together, including some deals for the Ivy League uh, in our mm. prior lives together. And he just had a great vision. And so, I said, why don't you own you know, this opportunity? 
Right. And in, in that example, Mike, what is the actual deliverable for sure. the player? So I understand the idea of making the deal and, and the suit company wanting to, to, to find a new marketing uh, opportunity to exploit. But what, what's, what do they have to do? Yeah, great question, Tom. So the way we break it down is depending on the level of compensation, um, the uh, student athletes have to post X amount of videos and or social across whatever it is, their Instagram, their Snapchat, their Twitter, their Facebook, whatever it is that they're using. Um, each athlete would be required to post X amount of times throughout the year, whether that be just a uh, written post and or a video post of them wearing the jacket and promoting that they are a brand ambassador. So how do the platforms characterize those kinds of posts? Because in certain platforms, you need to identify that something is sponsored, obviously. So does, that seems like a gray area. Because like if, they, if they're wearing, if one of the players is wearing the suit um, and he says, hey, loving this suit from Reveal, like, does that have to be considered like an, what we used to call an advertorial? Like, what, what is that? It's it's basically like an implied endorsement. Yeah, but does it? But does, and my point is, does that need to be noted in in the post itself? It, it doesn't need to be noted in the post. What we hmm. try to do is we, we try to make it as organic as possible, right? You're not trying to force things, right? right? Is you you want the kids to understand, hey, this is why I do this deal. Um, this is why I would want to wear this jacket and represent this brand. And, and really make it integrated. Um, we really, we've stayed away from and will continue to stay away from anything that doesn't feel natural and organic. Okay, okay. so related to that is the topic of student athlete education and, and, and advisement. A couple months ago, John, Joe and I had on our mutual friend, Randy Ecker, who you probably know with Ecker Sports Group is leading the charge on an education platform for the high school stakeholders vis-a-vis -vis NIL. So that would be the students, the coaches, the parents, and the administrators. And he's gotten some tractions, you probably know with that, done a bunch of deals. And you can see how literal teenagers would need some help here and, or, or their parents. Is there an equivalent of that happening in the world of college right now? Like who is advising, if there's any advisement at all, these young athletes, many of whom don't have any actual business experience, I suspect, since yeah. they're so young. Yeah, there's a lot of great companies out there right now that are doing kind of the educational advisement piece. Um, I do know Randy Ecker very well, cl close friend of, of all of ours. Um, he's doing a great job of it more uh, in the high school space than in college. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. um, but there's companies out there like Accelerate that's run by a, a former IMG executive named Doug Phyllis. Um, there's the Open Doors folks, which I'll get into in a little bit. We have a strategic partnership with Blake Lawrence and his team, mm -hmm. um, Jim Cavalli down at Influencer is doing a little bit with that. Um, and then um, Jason Belzer, who I know you guys both know, uh, created Student uh, NIL. And he's, you know, he's running conferences and he's really been helping these students learn about, hey, this is a business. I'm a brand, I'm a personal brand. And how do I make money? And how do I elevate you know, a company that, that may or may not want to partner with me? Mike, in the case of like that Villanova deal or others like it, is there any responsibility for the team to get at least tacit approval from the coach or the AD? 
I mean, I guess yeah. legally there's not, is there? I don't, right? No, there, there's there's nothing legal. And again, this right. is state by state, right? right? Based on, you know, <laughs> jurisdiction. Um, but everything we've done and, and everything I keep reading about and hearing about is that, you know, the coaches are behind these athletes, which means if the coaches are behind them, in some regard, the athletic director's behind them, right? Because mm-hmm. they know what's going on in their programs. So my, my what, what I've seen in my experience so far, Tom, has been, you know, we have an athlete that wants to get a deal done. They run it by the coach. Coach approves it. Athletic director and or somebody in the institution is probably aware of it, but they don't necessarily have to do anything legally. Okay. Hey, um, um, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. No, you um, go. One, uh, one other piece of this before we move on to esports, because um, we wanted to touch on that for a few minutes. What happens when a coach or a university has a deal with Adidas or Nike and conflicts arise where they are, the students are expected to be wearing Nike gear going to a game when suddenly they pop on a reveal suit jacket and somebody at Nike looks at that and said, well, we're paying the school X number of dollars. How, how has that played out and have you seen conflicts there? Yeah, so, so Joe, I haven't seen it played out in year one but I have definitely heard conversations with folks like Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, et cetera, either trying to renegotiate you know, current deals if there are going to be conflicts or drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, when your kid is visible in a team setting on the court and they're recognized with that team, they are a Nike school, they better be in that Nike. Oh, and how great it is and all that. But- there's been more and more uh, the downside of it, uh, the, the mental health of the students in certain cases, the stress associated with it, the, um, the, the fact that it may be attracting uh, people who might want to exploit young people who don't know as much as they should about these deals, et cetera. So after one year, based on your observation of the deals you've done, the conversations you've been in and the stuff you've read about, is it net positive or net negative? I believe it's still a net positive, Tom. I, I think that um, everything I've seen and heard on you know the mental health issues and the stress and the pressure you know that comes with NIL um, is certainly challenging for sure. But the way that I look at it is, if it's done right and it's in compliant with everything that student athletes really stand for, their ability to become a little more savvy in business and their ability to make money, regardless of who they are, um, they should be allowed to do that. But it has to be done the right way. Mm -hmm. And so one of the main things that I'll, I'll kind of finalize this with, Tom, was that it was really important to me when we were going through the process of who we were gonna partner with from a compliance standpoint. That we did our homework, we did our diligence. I had five or six companies you know, in the office with us. We, I wouldn't wanna say it was an RFP process, but you know, for lack of a better term, it was an RFP process. And yeah. we decided that based on the tools that Open Doors was gonna to provide to the student athletes and the institutions, that was the best way for us to educate our partners on why they should partner with them to be compliant. 
Thank you. And cool. to me, that's how it needs to be done. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So um, one other piece we want to talk about before we get to the mishigas of, of the NCAA and conference realignment and, and all those things. Tell us a little bit about esports, how it's grown on the collegiate level, and how you guys have kind of become the de facto player in that space, which isn't wasn't really athletics, but is still part of the you know the lexicon and can probably enter into NIL now as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so Joe, we really carved out a niche for ourselves, and as any good business, you have to make pivots and adapt to the times. And so, we identified that there was a real white space opportunity in collegiate esports. Uh, one, it's not sanctioned under the NCAA governance. Uh, number two is that there was really nobody setting the governance and the bylaws and kind of the play structure. And then three, there was really a mishmash of schools across multiple conferences that were trying to figure out how to create esports programs, whether they were in athletics or they were in student life and give them an opportunity to host tournaments, play in tournaments, have regular season competition, et cetera. So what we did going back now, you know, five years ago was we partnered with the ECAC and you're familiar with the ECAC conference, you know, for many years, which is the you know, largest catch-all conference on the traditional sports side, but they really set themselves up as the leader in esports. And so what they found was that like the traditional model, if esports wasn't going to be an area for participation for conferences like the Big Ten, Pac-12, on down, well, you could participate in the ECAC for esports. And so with their commissioner, Dan Coonan, we struck a 15-year partnership where we basically come and represent all commercial rights for everything that they're doing in the ECAC for esports. And so we've aggregated more than 200 plus schools that now participate across all regular season for the ECAC. And then we did the same thing with the NJCAA. So all junior colleges that participate in esports that roll up into the NJCAA, we're in a representation agreement with. And then we started to take our traditional model, where I mentioned to you before, we're representing you know, 25 plus conferences across D1, D2, and D3. And we carved out esports rights along with traditional sports rights. Okay. So, in totality, right now, we have north of 500 properties that we represent exclusively for esports through these different organizations. And, Mike, what do Is the that... actual activities look like? Like, are, are we yeah. talking about um, kind of self? Uh, governance of the, of the, for example, the games they choose, the specific uh, platforms they're on, et cetera? Or is there any kind of uh, guideline supplied to them as part of your deal? Well, Tom, all of the above. Okay. So we provide play guidelines. We help them with rules and regulations. We are in partnership with the publishers to, to you know, provide gameplay. We negotiate with the platforms for them to play on a platform we do media rights distribution with Twitch, ESTV, Turner, and others, and then we sell sponsorships. Mm -hmm. So we're really providing that full commercial arm to these properties to go and represent it. And so the way it works right now is that all of these conferences have regular season schedules where on any given night, 
school X is playing school Y in, you know, Rocket League, Overwatch, Valorant, Super Smash, you name the game title. And we are able to sell and monetize into the regular season play. And then our, our second piece of our esports business is that because nobody was putting on the March Madness bracket style tournament that culminated in the largest event of the year, we actually own and operate that. So what we've done at Collegiate Sports Management Group is we rebranded our esports vertical to Esports U, and Esports U runs four regional tournaments, East, Midwest, South, and West, just like the men's and women's basketball tournament. We have four game titles of 16-team bracket-style tournaments, and then those winners play into the Commissioner's Cup Championship, which we just ran in May in Atlanta, and we had mega fortune 500 brands that sponsored it we put it on twitch and estv and we're in discussions with turner on a couple things there and we ran this huge event we crowned national champions and then we also gave them x amount of money in prize pool wow so two questions off of that who are some of the brands and what have they done what's the best example and then it's almost counterintuitive that you're bringing them all together for something that's played in a cloud so what was the benefit of actually spending the money to bring everyone together in one place? So how did those two play out? Yep. Great, great question, Joe. So first question answer is um, Microsoft and CDW was the presenting sponsor of the entire event. McDonald's, Barbasol, and the U.S. Air Force were our associate sponsors. Hmm. And then we also had companies uh, like Control and New Street that are fairly new to the brand sponsorship ecosystem, but wanted to get their product in the hands of these kids 18 to you know, 22, 23 years old. Okay. Um, and so we did really, really well with the sponsors. And then we also had partnership with the Atlanta Hawks, um, who's one of our key partners down in Atlanta. We were partnered with Skillshot Media, who's a, a production company um, that we utilize and they do a lot of great things down in Atlanta. We were partnered with the Atlanta Falcons. So we really identified Atlanta as an area where we wanted to bring this mega event to. And the last thing I'll say on the event before I answer the next question is that we actually did an economic impact study from the event and we drove a million nine that weekend into the city of Atlanta. Wow, that's great. So is that the reason why the the congregation of these kids actually meeting each other and and the economic impact, I would imagine, are the two biggest reasons. That Exactly. That's a good segue into answering your second question, was that these kids are so used to playing virtually against each other, and it was really important for us to showcase that at a real LAN live event that has sponsors. We ended up selling over 3,000 tickets to the event, and so it was really cool for them to actually be front and center and playing in front of them. And, Joe, the coolest thing at the whole event was on Friday. So the event was Saturday, Sunday. On Friday, we did a media day, just like a football media day, where we had all the (laughs) networks come in and we had all these kids being interviewed. They had never done this before. And then Friday night, I kicked off a ceremony where we had a red carpet and each kid came through and we gave them a jersey with um, with their tag name on the back 
so that they could wear the jersey for CECC for the weekend. That's cool. Great. Well done. Well done, yeah. Mike. Um, could I just uh, another uh, follow up question on that? When we, we talked to you about your business six years ago, as we said earlier, um, can you share any stats or at least trends, top line trends that you're aware of statistically about the growth of esports and esports athletes in the collegiate realm over the last so many years? Yeah, well, first and foremost, there's over 400 esports programs in the country now that offer college scholarships. 400? Joe, did you know it was that many? I had no idea. Well, I, I, I'm not going to push back on that, but, but I think there's a gray area as to what those scholarships actually are, how much they entail, why they're getting them, um, and what those schools are. I mean, how many colleges are there in the United States? That's not a huge percentage of the colleges that are actually here. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that what I will say is that, you know, we've now spent 25 minutes talking about two areas of Mike's business that didn't even exist the last time we talked to him, which I think yeah. that, kind that's of, correct, Joe. I think we so, paid lip yeah. service to esports then, but yeah, yeah, yeah. not so, not like yeah, it is now. Yeah, um, yeah Joe, but, when, but, when we first started and had the, you know, when, when you had me on the 18th episode, right, you, to your point is esports and NIL were not even a part of the conversation. Right. Yeah. But Mike, what what about in terms of, um, so I understand the thing about the scholarships uh, just as, as a trend, a growing trend. What about the actual number of esports athletes year, you know, growth year over year? Because it seems like since Gen Z, the younger part of Gen Z currently in high school, it's, it's as they say in one of the presentations I use, gamified by, from birth, meaning it's a, it's a different mindset about sports. Many of them, many of them are gamers. Many of them are um, more into esports than traditional sports. As each year passes, are more of them going to college saying, "Hey, I'm going to join the esports team because I'm a gamer," and yeah. that wasn't 100%. true obviously so, five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah Joe. So uh, Joe and Tom, what we're seeing here is first off, you know, more and more um, um, uh, or um, institutions, excuse me are offering different opportunities, right? So in your sports management programs, which I know both of you teach in, right now all of a sudden there's becoming esports curriculum, mm -hmm. right? So that's being taught. So these right. kids now wanna learn, hey, how do I get into the esports business? How do mm -hmm. I go work for a publisher? How do I do things like that, right? We hear a lot about STEAM and STEM, you know, yeah. right, as it relates to the brain functionalities. We, we hear a lot about computer science majors and technology continuing to evolve. And so a lot of those type of kids that are interested in things like that are gamers, mm -hmm. yep. right? And so that's why it's really grown, right? Mm -hmm. I was with a dozen um, university presidents at summer meetings to wrap up the year. And one of the challenges continues to be enrollment, right? Well, now, guess what? Esports kids and kids that want to play video games and whether it's a part of you know, the athletics or it's a part of student life, that's an area of enrollment growth. Mm -hmm. So so I would tell you those are the type of trends, you know, Tom and Joe, that we've really seen in the space. And one, one other thing I just want to say is that factually down in Atlanta, because we held four game titles and there are multiple um, players that play depending on game title, we actually had over 300 gamers with us in Atlanta. That's wow. great. But Michael... Just last question on, on, on that point as a quick follow-up. Are the schools taking action 
in terms of facility builds yeah. to accommodate this new growing interest? In yes. other words, you know, we've seen we've seen just an incredible amount of money over the last 20 years go into obviously football programs, basketball programs, even swimming complexes, climbing walls, et cetera, et cetera, everything we, we've seen and read about. Are, is something happening on the esports front to make the schools more attractive to the A lot of students? schools, uh, Tom, have broken ground on new facilities or okay. adding in um, the, the gaming side of the business. And one example I'm going to give you, and, and I'll, I'm actually going to send you and Joe the article if you haven't seen it, it's fascinating, is NC State uh, just put $16 million into building an esports facility. Wow. And, wh and what does that mean? Like what for those, uh, and including myself and maybe Joe, uninitiated, I have a general idea. Um, it's kind of a black box theater kind of thing. But what, what exactly yeah. is an esports facility? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's literally a facility with the, um, you know, different production equipment right. in it, right? Um, screens. Like a, sound, like a sound stage for esports with co seats. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and in some cases, it could be as big as an arena. Right. Yeah. What's the largest one in the country right now? I don't know the answer to that. I know NC State has put some real resources behind that. University of Michigan has put some real resources behind that. Um, I don't know which one is the biggest in the country, but I know that there's at least a dozen schools um, that have put significant resources behind building them. So, but to Okay, I just thought of one last question, Joe. Sorry, yeah. I just feel really curious about this because it just occurred to me. If they're building these facilities, they're obviously good for the players, but obviously part of what they want to do is monetize or at least support the campus activities and allow viewers, fans to come in. Are fan bases developing on these campuses that have teams? That's, that's correct. Yeah, you're seeing more and more yeah. fan bases develop. I, I, you know what? I'm going to call BS on some of this stuff, but that's okay. Ooh, I, I think okay. what they are, Tom, are, and what I've seen them are multi-purpose multi buildings that will house these things. But it's nowhere near realistic, given who this fan base is, that you're going to get 5,000 people every week coming to watch something. No, sit there right. and yeah, that's not yeah. that's not realistic. No, and and Joe, no, I don't want. But to but but Joe, people, there's not five thousand people showing up for baseball games or lacrosse games either. So right, well, but they're also I'm, not building. But see, I I think that that I think the beauty of these things is the utility where you've got five G. Think about all the other aspects of this right. that are going to be tremendously important to universities as opposed to it's a multi-purpose facility, right, Mike? Right. I mean, that's yeah, basically yeah, what course. it is. So, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And Joe, anybody can spin anything yeah, okay. as it relates to you know PR, right? But the, the 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 articles that continue to populate are that they're building it as an esports facility, and then to your point, they're going to use it you know for yeah. for a hundred other things, including having us. So one of the things I go back to, I told you we ran East, West, Midwest, and South regionals. Right now, a lot of these schools are calling us saying, "Hey, bring those regionals." Right. to our facilities right that makes sense that makes perfect sense so, yeah yeah so, but, but joe make no mistake about it there's not going to be five thousand students going to watch an esports game on a no. campus okay. every given week and there are people that have tried to sell that and it is absolutely not true and, correct and that's where that's where you've seen some of the bigger facilities that have been built with seats for these things in places like las vegas have been tremendous white elephants because yes. that has not worked out. Now, it's funny, if you go to Riot Games, their esports arena, their gaming arena, probably has about 200 seats. And that's that's 
what they think. It's a beautiful theater, but you know, when I walked in there with David Higdon from Riot Games, he's like, this is the max that we're gonna have. Everybody, there'll be millions or thousands watching on their consoles, but for people to sit here and watch, it's counterintuitive to what what is going on. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking and, of counterintuitive, yep. Let's talk about in our last 15 or 20 minutes. We're sitting here on a Friday where right now, as we speak, only USC and UCLA have left the Pac-12. Uh, not everyone has yet migrated to the ACC or wherever else they're going to go. You guys represent 12 conferences, which may or may not grow, shrink, realign, you know, retie. So can you walk us through NCAA madness, not March madness, but school madness and kind of the- <laughs> NCAA the, the, July the madness. Business, oh. yeah, the business behind it and why, what you think the path is going forward versus looking back. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you everything that, that's going on there and know everything that's going on there. But, um, you, first but of, before you say that, are you surprised by any of this at all? No, not at all. Yeah, that's that's I'm, I'm not surprised by any of it. And I'm not surprised by the way that the NCAA governance handled NIL. I'm not surprised at what the college football playoff has done. I'm not surprised by, you know, the, the NCAA hanging on for dear life that they control the NCAA tournament. Um, but look, we all know what drives most of this business and it's the media rights, right? And a lot of decisions are made based on the, 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 the power five conferences getting significant, significant money. So um, it, it doesn't shock me. Uh, you know, I think that it once... Texas and Oklahoma made a decision that they were going to head to the SEC. Uh, you knew that there was going to be a trickle-down effect. And you knew that every big market, major school athletically with a brand name was going to start to explore their options. And that's exactly what UC, USC and UCLA are, right? Big market, big brand names that have the leverage with the Pac-12 to now say, hey, I can go and make an enormous amount of money by going to the big 10 right to me it takes the student athlete component out of it now right because now you're making put football and basketball on the side now you're making all small tier sports travel a gazillion miles for every game yeah. they're going to play yeah right um yeah how how does this shake out you represent conferences and in those conferences are schools i don't know trying to think like I'm sure there've been some shifting in some of the mid-major schools not a lot yet. Well, good um, amount. How how does that impact your sales and for your business going forward are you better off representing universities as the deals come up or conferences overall? Yeah, so I still I like the fact that we as a company cross over into both Joe and I say that because we can represent the local and regional assets for the school and be able to sell them and monetize them both in sponsorship and media, right? And then I also like our relationship with the conferences because no matter what schools um, transition in or out, they're always gonna have championship events mm -hmm. that are gonna be on some type of national streaming platform or you know a TV linear platform or whatever it is, those are not gonna go away. The, the brand names, at those events may change, right? And there has actually been a good amount of shift in the conferences that we represent with schools departing and then you know new schools coming in. 
But I like where we sit as a company because it's basically we have the ability to sell the conference championship events, but then we also have the ability to sell the local school, regardless of what conference that local school participates in. Mike, probably like you guys, I've been in a lot of conversations the last couple of weeks with people not in the sports business. And when it comes up just in casual conversation, what the hell is going on with uh, the Big Ten and NCAA? And I, I go right to what Mike said. It's all about, first of all, all about money. Number one, money is the mostly defined by media and sponsorship, uh, of course, in this business. But let, let me just ask it this way. Is, is it the, the equation as simple as with the PAC, excuse me, Big Ten, pre-USC, UCLA, which is technically, I guess, the PAC, I'm sorry, Big 14. There are 14 schools, I believe, in Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the media rights are worth X. Add the big, two big brands from LA, and the media rights are worth X plus 15 or 20 or 25%. Is it really kind of that simple? Yeah, I mean, to simplify it, yes. Right. But there's evaluation studies done. And mm-hmm. so when you look at it, right, so the Pac-12 meteorites were worth X. And of that X, based on negotiations with formerly Larry Scott and the USC president and the UCLA president, they had a larger share of the distribution. OK, so each school is negotiating their own share of the conference's deal. I don't Depending think a lot of people the realize that. are structured yeah. at the conference. Okay. I didn't know that either. That's okay. interesting. Depending on how the bylaws are structured at the conference, there are cases and examples where schools within a conference may get a larger share of the pie. There are other conferences where it may just be a a straight, hey, we have 12 schools and it's going to be distributed evenly, right? It really depends. Some conferences do it where if they only get X amount of games on national TV Mm -hmm. and only a, a dozen of those schools or a half dozen of those schools get on TV and the other half don't, well, then the distribution is structured to the schools that are on TV. So in the case of USC and and UCLA leaving, right, their distribution was more than Washington, Washington State, Stanford, et cetera. So that has to be a lever as they're going into the Big Ten of, hey, what does this look like? Mm -hmm. Right. And then the, the big one, uh, uh, Tom, to get ahead of you is going to be, what does Notre Dame decide to do? Yes, I know that's been yeah. in, the, in the news every day, too. Right? Man, it's, it's really interesting to watch. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but it's obviously minimize, continuing to minimize the importance and role of the actual NCAA, which feels like it, it's, it's a dead man walking uh, yeah. as a leadership business in, in this well, world. It's funny, uh, Ray, Ray mentioned, uh, Ray, Mike mentioned, sorry about that. Mike, that, was, that was a tremendous, this, this to you. But, uh, Mike mentioned um, the ECAC, which was the de facto NCAA and never evolved, which is the Eastern Collegiate Athletic Conference. Uh, the NCAA came in and basically took over March Madness and pulled away lots of money that was going to the ECAC. And now they've re-envisioned themselves around esports and Division Two and Division Three, which has been very healthy. Um, the last question I had for you, Mike, was women's sports. Um, rise in sponsorship interest? Is it segmented or are people still coming in and saying, give us that as opposed to, you know, worrying about mid-major college basketball or on the men's side or football? Yeah, I would say there's definitely been an increase in interest um, at the corporate level. The NCAA champions and corporate partners have certainly put more money and resources behind the women's championship events. 
Um, the best thing about us, Joe, and I'm going to make it about CSMG for a second, is that from day one of us selling, it was never us going to the market to sell football and basketball like it right. is at the Power Five. At, at our level of mid-major on down, to make up the scale, to ask for the dollars that we need to ask for and give the impressions we need to give to a brand, we had them buying all sports all year round. Yep. So now you're seeing a little bit more of that at the Power Five level, which obviously demand a few more zeros on a contract, but CSMG's always been doing that. In fact, one of the first deals we ever did was with Pure Silk, the women's shaving cream brand, where we were sponsoring all women's tournaments. But you're seeing more money. What you've started to really see now, Joe, in the media conversations is, are the networks now picking up the women's semifinals and women's championship for basketball and airing them on a CBS SN or an FS1 or FS2 where you didn't previously see that aside from UConn. Or, or in the case of softball, oh my God, ESPN, you know, over the course of like six weeks could have been called the Women's Collegiate Softball Channel. There was so much content on there. Right. It was really amazing. And I know it got pretty good good uh, numbers. So, Joe, when is, uh, when is Fordham going to join the Big Ten? Is that an announcement we should be looking for anytime uh, soon? Right after Hamilton, as a matter of fact. Hamilton okay. first. Nice. <laughs> nice. Hamilton, Hamilton's still trying, trying to get into Division Two, I think. So they got a long way to go. Um, I know we only have a few minutes left, Mike. So, Joe, if you don't mind, I'm going to um, – yeah. Let's finish with a twist on our normal question about career advice and things like that. This, to me, this is an interesting question that, that Mike, if you and I were having lunch, I would want to ask you anyway. You had a successful corporate career. This is your first major entrepreneurial activity, going back to the creation with Ray uh, of CSMG. What have you learned over the last six, seven years in launching this business and developing this business? Obviously, you hit a good trend line that maybe you didn't even fully appreciate when you started, but... Talk, talk about insights and, and learnings that, that you've been able to get over, over these last few years. Yeah, well, so I've always been entrepreneurial, um, worked for the Mets, worked for Westwood One, led my groups as entrepreneur, but this is the first time I actually founded my own company. Right. Um, I've learned a lot about leadership and a lot about you know how to grow an organization and run an organization. Um, I've learned a lot about you know being uncomfortable and, and doing things that maybe I didn't have to do as an employee, but I have to you know do as a leader, right? No more about legal, no more about finance and running a business, no more about raising money, mm-hmm. you know, things that you don't do as an employee. And awesome. so it's really been, I say to Ray all the time is that, you know, I kind of put myself in business school and, and, and put us through business school um, as being an entrepreneur. And it's something that when I, so I teach at Manhattanville, at the grad level. And a lot of the students asked me, was it scary going out on your own? You know, one of the, some of the things that you learned and um, it's exciting. And I think if you embrace the challenge and you surround yourself with good, smart, talented people, um, it'll work itself out. And that's, and that's what we've done. We've created a nice business for ourselves. And right now, as I mentioned to Joe at the top is we started it with zero clients and zero revenue in 2015. And um, we're doing a few million in revenue and we have 30 employees and, you know, hundreds of clients. That's great. a great, that's a great story. So congrats on, on that. I mean, I really admire you. So um, if, if you were to um, think about where this might go, 
over the, the rest of this decade. So we're 2022 right now. Where, what could this look like? I suppose if one of these big companies came along and offered you a check for $100 million, you know, we could see you, you know, retiring at age whatever you are. Uh, but, but if that doesn't happen, what might this look like down the line? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we've had a couple of conversations with companies that have shown interest in us. My philosophy right now is that it's all about building and helping the collegiate ecosystem. And how can I do that through all the arms of, of commercialization? And so we've built up such a great media business. Esports is really in its infancy, as you guys know. NIL is even more of an infant than that. Mm -hmm. um, we're now getting into the NFT digital collectible space, which we were the first company that brokered a college deal in that space. And so to me, we're literally on a rocket ship to growth in five different areas. And with a focus right now is to grow the business mm -hmm. in those areas, bring on talented people, bring in resources that can help us grow those areas. And then if there's an exit, what does that look like? Is it to a media company? Is it to an agency? Is it to a strategic partner? Does a publisher maybe want to acquire us? I don't know. But right now we're so focused on, hey, we, we're in these five lanes. Let's really grow and put resources behind these five lanes. And maybe two or three of them dissolve over time. Maybe all five of them are great. I don't know. I, I think they get bought by a sovereign wealth fund. <laughs> Right. And, and live golf yeah. is going to need to diversify very soon because I think on right. the track they're on, it's not going yeah. far. Well, especially uh, for women's sports, Tom, I could just see a sovereign wealth fund just throwing all their money at division three women's soccer. It's going to <laughs> it may happen. Joe, why don't you uh, wrap us up? Yeah. So um, Mike, last question is where do people find CSMG and, and learn more about the business? Sure. So website is, is collegiatesmg.com. Um, we, we certainly have our you know, own personal LinkedIn's. Um, we're, we're, we're pretty big on social right now. Um, the four of us, and I say the four of us that really lead the organization, myself, Ray Katz, Jimmy Connolly is our chief revenue officer, and Angela Bernard Thomas is our head of esports, are all fairly well known in the industry. Um, so all good ways that, that you can find a lot of good NFL DNA in that, in that group. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we need to make sure that those guys are doing what they need to do every day. Exactly. <laughs> for sure. Um, well, Mike, thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. It, it was really good to, to get an update from you and uh, more importantly to hear about the success that you Ray and Jimmy and Angela have, uh, have enjoyed over these last couple of years. And we wish you continued success. Yeah, appreciate it. Always great to see you guys and, and look forward to catching up with you offline. All right. Thanks, Mike. Please say hi to your colleagues for us. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts about uh, guests you'd like to have for us to have on or, or topics you'd like to discover, please reach out to me and Joe uh, at Joe Fav at Convergence TR. You can find us through the pod. Uh, but thank you. We appreciate the support. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Josh.